This is the future of policing in Columbus, a podcast production of MatterNews.org, presented by WCBE 90.5 FM, exploring research and solutions that will create a safe community for all in Central Ohio. Your host for today's episode is Edie Driscoll. Welcome, I'm Edie Driscoll, your host. This is part two of de-escalation training. In part one, we spoke with Mark Luther, a trainer contracted by Columbus Division of Police to conduct de-escalation training for officers in Central Ohio. He gave us a trainer's eye view of how de-escalation tactics work to impact the safety of both citizens and officers. He felt that they should be widely used and become part of policing culture. He cautioned, however, that it will take more than a governor's mandate to make that happen. If you haven't heard that episode, you can find it at wcbe.org podcast experience. I learned a lot from Mark. Since most of us can't be in the room when officers are trained, it was very helpful to hear his perspective. One thing he couldn't tell us was if or how any research has been done on the effectiveness of this type of training for law enforcement. It is really exciting to have one of the top researchers in the world write down 71 at the University of Cincinnati. Dr. Robin Engel is a professor at the University of Cincinnati School of Criminal Justice. She has been a researcher for over two decades. She serves as the director for the International Association of Chiefs of Police Center for Policy Research at the University of Cincinnati. That association has 33,000 members in 165 countries. So her research is broadly disseminated throughout the world. She is very engaged with how this work is changing in real time. Welcome, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're right down the road in Cincinnati, and um, we know that you love the Buckeyes, I'm sure. Um, We just will put that out there. Um, But I'm more interested in um, your academic work at the University of Cincinnati, and tell us a little bit about how, in that work, uh, your interest in the use of de-escalation tactics by police began. Like, When did that hit your radar screen? in your academic research? Well, first, thank you so much for having me today. Um, And I do need to make just a bit of a correction. While I do support the Buckeyes, my first love, of course, are the Bearcats uh, here at the University of Cincinnati. So I hope (laughs) that the listeners are still tuned in. Go Bearcats. (laughs) Go Bearcats. That's right. Um, So my interest in de-escalation training actually started uh, very soon after we had an officer-involved shooting with the University of Cincinnati Police Division in 2015, where an unarmed black male was shot and killed during a minor traffic offense about a half mile off campus. And very, very quickly after that, I assumed a leadership role at the university, vice president for safety and reform. And I was tasked with both short-term and long-term 
uh, police reform efforts with the University of Cincinnati Police Division. And this is an agency that's a sworn police agency, about 70 or so uh, sworn officers, and then a larger Department of Public Safety of about 150 or so employees. And so one of the first things that I did was I looked at our use of force uh, training and our use of force policies and procedures. And I recognized very quickly that we needed to make some aggressive changes uh, to, to keep up uh, with police reform efforts um, and to make sure that our encounters with police and citizens uh, were the safest that they could be for all parties involved. So because I'm trained as a researcher, I went to the academic literature to see what do we know about de-escalation training? Which trainings are the most effective? What's the content? What's the, the training modality? How frequently do officers need to be trained? And I thought surely as a police researcher that there would be a body of evidence that I could base my work on. And what I found instead was nothing, literally not one empirical study that had been conducted in the field of policing to test whether or not de-escalation training was effective. And so, and this was in 2015. This was actually in 2016 is when we first started looking into it. Uh, and by 2017, I worked with a with a team of researchers, and so we then did a systematic literature review, not just in criminal justice and policing, but across all disciplines and all fields, to see what do we know about de-escalation training. And what we found was was really. Um, quite honestly, so disappointing in terms of our lack of evidence. We found 64 studies across fields uh, that showed that there was some impact of de-escalation training, particularly on changes in employees' attitudes and their knowledge base, but no real changes in behavior. And the studies uh, were not particularly strong, methodologically strong, most of the studies were in nursing or in the psychiatric field, but no studies in policing. And so this was so difficult um, for me personally, because now I'm in a situation where I'm going to change the training for law enforcement officers with no evidence of whether or not that training is effective and whether or not it will reduce their likelihood of injury or citizens' likelihood of injury. Um, talk a little bit about the health professionals and the research that you did find. What were their outcomes? Could you could you talk to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we did find again in the fields of nursing and in the fields of um, of psychiatry uh, more generally. So uh, looking into the mental health field, uh, so workers um, that are um, employed in hospitals, for example. Uh, the studies that looked at the de-escalation training for those types of employees did find some changes in their attitudes and their knowledge about de-escalation skills. Uh, we found some that reported uh, increases in self-reported use of those training tactics and skills. Uh, very few studies that actually looked at behavioral changes and the ones that did look at behavioral changes, the methodology was so weak, it was really hard to determine whether or not the training was actually having the impact that was desired. Can you, can you give us a sense of whether those professions 
are using the word de-escalation in the same way that we hear it used in the policing profession? Is there any crossover or what are the similarities? Well, you know, what's interesting about that is that in the policing field specifically, there is no one standard recognized definition of what we mean by de-escalation. And that's true across other disciplines and other uh other areas um, and other professions. So there is no one set standard. Um, generally speaking, we think about de-escalation as bringing a situation uh, or a citizen who's in crisis back to a calm state by using the least amount of force um, or intervention as possible. Uh, but again, that definition is it just varies so dramatically. Uh, and so that's part of our first problem is what do we even mean by de-escalation? And what's so interesting about that is, of course, politically, we are demanding as part of the larger police reform efforts that we want training in de-escalation. But a lot of times, even those demands, we don't even know what that means, what we're asking for training for. So um, let's go back to your path through this after you learned that um, as a researcher you have no data that you can rely on as now a law enforcement official to install a training so what what did you do how did you address that well i think that that um you know that particular issue about not having the evidence was uh was especially challenging because there were concerns among law enforcement officers that the new tactics that were being taught for de-escalation, which include things like time and distance and cover, right, that those are um, techniques that are uh, sometimes counter to the traditional training that officers have, which is to go in and quickly handle a situation before it gets more out of control. And so there were officers that were concerned about, you're teaching people to hesitate. You're going to get officers killed out there uh, with these de-escalation tactics. And there was no evidence to the contrary. So it wasn't just, does de-escalation training work? Is it effective? Will it reduce officer injuries, citizen injuries, and use of force. But are there, uh, you know, the larger question for law enforcement officers was, are there unintended consequences? Are you actually going to make things worse? And there was no evidence. So that's where we decided first, we had to select what training we were going to put in place at the University of Cincinnati Police Division. But then secondly, for myself and our research team, we were then committed to building the evidence base, not just at UCPD, but across the country in this and in other areas that are so critical for law enforcement and to make those police citizen encounters safer, we need to build the evidence base. And so we were committed to doing that work moving forward. And so in that follow-up research that you're committed to, what have you accomplished to date? Anything that you can tell us about? Absolutely. Well, we, we started in 2019 and we uh, implemented a large scale modified randomized control trial design study with the Louisville Metro Police Department. 
Now, um, RCT designs or randomized controlled trials, they tend to be uh, considered one of the gold standards in, in research um, where you're randomizing who gets the training and who doesn't. In this case, we randomized which districts of officers got the training while others were waiting for that training. Um, and then we were able to compare what happened to those officers in the field compared to officers who weren't trained um, until the time of their training. So using a robust uh, research design, we were able to demonstrate, in fact, we're, I believe it's the first study in the country that has actually shown significant reductions in police use of force as the result of a de-escalation training that was implemented. Can you give us then a short uh, description of the training that you selected and, and how you defined the word for that training? Sure. Well, uh, we used uh, what's called ICAT. ICAT uh, stands for Integrating Communications Assessment and Tactics. It's a curriculum that was originally introduced by the Police Executive Research Forum in about 2016 or so, 2015, 2016, this training came out. It's evidence-informed, but it had not been tested, just like no other police trainings had been tested. This one had also not been tested. But the administrators in Louisville, the police executive, were really interested in building the evidence base and wanted to know, does this have an impact? So that training specifically integrates critical thinking, crisis recognition and intervention, and communication skills with operational tactics. So it teaches things like um, tactical pause, communication skills, um, what we call reactionary gap strategies, all of these things designed to handle persons in crisis. And when I say persons in crisis, I'm talking about people who are behaving erratically due to mental health issues or substance use. It could be situational stress or intellectual developmental disabilities. But it's essential that these people that are in crisis, that are being encountered by police officers, that this training gives those officers the tactics and skills necessary to de-escalate those situations. I can tell you that the state of New Jersey right now has, um, they have mandated uh, de-escalation training for every agency in the state. Uh, and that training that they're going to be implementing is this ICAT training. And our research team is currently negotiating now to be able to come in and do the evaluation statewide. So this research concluded when? When did you, have you published this research yet? So the, the research, the uh, report has been written and disseminated to the law enforcement community. That report is publicly available on our website, uh, and that was released in September of 2020. And the, the additional pieces of, those, of that research are now under anonymous peer review, uh, and we'll, we're awaiting the results from that peer review process for publication in an academic journal. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. Um, what do you have planned for the next round of research? What What did you not learn in this this round that you want to do next? Sure. Well, let me be a little bit more specific about the findings because I think um, your your audience would be interested to know that first, 
a vast majority, 80% or so reported of the officers reported positive perceptions and receptivity to the training. This is really important to begin with. So first thing is how receptive are the officers? And what we find is that oftentimes, you know, officers work in a challenging environment, particularly with the Louisville Metro Police Department. 75% of the officers said that they worked in an area that was dangerous. 85% agreed there was a good chance they'd be assaulted on the job. But slightly, oh, about a, well, about three quarters of the officers didn't agree that the agency was a good agency to work for. So the trainers really had their hands full with possible officer morale issues um, and working in dangerous conditions. So that's why it's so critical that they had such positive reception to the training. And over 60 to 70% of the officers themselves reported using the de-escalation tactics in the last 60 days when they were out in the field. They had significant changes, positive changes in their attitudes about interactions with the public, attitudes towards persons in crisis, and their attitudes about the use of force. So all of those things were very positive. And then, of course, we had those behavioral findings, 28% reduction in uses of force incidents after this training, a 26% reduction in citizen injuries, and a 36% reduction in officer injuries. All of these really critical um, to, to first show that this training was effective and that it could make police citizen encounters safer. Since it was a random trial, are there plans for Louisville to go back and, and train the rest of their officers? Well, they were trained along the way. So the way we did this is called a step wedge design, which means we planned for all of the train all of the officers to be trained over time. And so we compared them during steps when they when some were trained and some had not been trained. So the good news is that all officers have been trained in the Louisville Metro Police Department using the ICAT training. But the other thing we found was that 40% of the officers said they, they needed refresher courses. In a six to eight month follow-up, they said, or I'm sorry, a four to six month follow-up, they said, we need more training. We also found that first-line supervisors play such a critical role in terms of supporting officers' use of de-escalation tactics and skills but that the supervisors in this particular agency weren't engaging in some of the activities that we think would, would better foster and support that. So right now, Louisville Metro police trainers are developing the first of its kind training just for those first line supervisors, sergeants and lieutenants who are in the field to help them support the de-escalation tactics and skills that are being trained to their officers. Certainly. I think with any training, that sort of ongoing reinforcement from the community or the culture is is where the success will will lie. Let me let me ask you if in your research did you collect any um, data that pointed to any difference in implicit racial bias among the officers? Well, one of the things that we looked at to see was, um, do different types of officers, are they more receptive to the training than others? Are certain types of officers more likely to use de-escalation tactics and skills in the field, for example? 
And so what we found was first, most officers, regardless of their demographics or their experience or their views, were highly receptive to the ICAT training. But there were some important differences to note. So for example, female officers, African-American officers, uh, officers who started their career, they started the academy later, um, and officers that had more of a community policing role orientation, all of those types of officers were more receptive to the ICAT training. And why that receptivity is so important is because about, well, I think it was uh, 50% probability of reporting the use of de-escalation skills in their most recent encounters with a person in crisis, that's for the most receptive. So the most receptive uh, individuals to the ICAT training reported about a 50% probability of using those skills. But officers who were the least receptive to the training only had a probability of using those de-escalation tactics and skills in about 4.5%. So that's a very big difference that, um, and, that is and huge. one of the things we need to better understand about who's most receptive to these techniques and then who's using them in the field. On the outcome side, you talked earlier about looking at the use of force. Did you see use of force? Was there, was there disparate outcomes in use of force based on racial profiles? Well, the use of force came down for both white and African-American citizens. So use of force came down across racial and ethnic groups. We're in the process of doing additional research with the Louisville Metro Police Department to better understand um, some of the nuances of the types of situations, the severity of the force that was used. There's all different types of research uh, questions that we still, of course, want to, to answer. Um, but this this study was, was very large, uh, but also, I think, importantly, is the first to show that there are reductions in use of force and, importantly, 36% reduction in officer injuries and a 26% reduction in citizen injuries as a result of this training. That's important as well. So what else do we need to know as regular old citizens walking around trying to make an impact on uh, safety in our community. What else do we need to know about de-escalation that we should be uh, telling our mayor or telling the uh, our new police chief who we're going to get any week here? Um, what sort of things are important to know? Because I think a lot of folks, as we've mentioned, walk around saying the word we don't have a clear definition of it. So we're not really sure what we're lobbying for, if we are. Um, what do we need to know? Well, one of the, I think the misconceptions about de-escalation is that de-escalation means no use of force. And that's not the case. Sometimes situations are going to involve the use of force. And the use of force that's used could be maybe less severity involved. And that's still a form of de-escalation. Um, the other thing we need to best understand is that when there are situations that involve a firearm, so if the citizen is armed um, or if the officer perceives the citizen as armed, when those encounters take place, the, the effectiveness of de-escalation or even the opportunities to de-escalate situations uh, are really significantly reduced. 
So, for example, with the ICAT training itself, one of the things they're very clear about is that this is training to help officers who are engaged with persons who are in crisis, but not for situations where those citizens in crisis have are armed with a firearm. Right? This is for situations when they may have a weapon, but it's less than a firearm. And what would happen, how would it apply in a situation where a person is not in crisis, but has a firearm? If someone is uh, not in crisis, but happens to be legally carrying a firearm, um, then presumably there's not a situation that's going to escalate that an officer has to control in some way. Right. So, so what we're really interested in is those situations that are very quickly turned volatile, where the interactions are unpredictable, um, and where the citizens are engaging in behaviors that are that are challenging or problematic um, or erratic in some way. So that's what we're really keen in on. De-escalation training is not a cure-all. That's one of the other things that I would want to get out to the listeners. A lot of times we demand police reform thinking that, well, if we just train the cops better, right, that we would have the solutions that we seek. And the truth is we can't just train that way out of this problem to, to uh, really rebuild trust in our communities. Training is one critical and important piece, but it is just a piece. All trainings need to be supported with a more holistic approach in our police departments. And by holistic, I mean changes in policies, uh, supervisory oversight, managerial support, and community engagement in those training efforts um, to make it much more holistic. So Robin, we started this interview with some bonding over our shared Ohio pride. And I'd like to bring us home with a question about how you feel your work will impact the state of Ohio and our progress toward data-driven solutions. Well, I can tell you that through the Attorney General's office, um, uh, um, that they are working with OPADA right now, Ohio Peace Officer Training Academy, um, to develop uh, a new de-escalation training. Uh, and so I have been involved in those discussions and, and helping to bring sort of a research base um, to the training that they put together that is in process. Uh, lots of different experts have been able to give some feedback on that. And, you know, we're hopeful that that training will be moving forward um, in the next few months. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it stands right now, but I do know that 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 is in the works. And why I think that's so important is because we can't train what works until we know what works. And so I'm hopeful that they will introduce, along with this training, an opportunity to evaluate the training along the way and provide a feedback loop for the agencies and for the trainers, much like Louisville Metro has now done, where they're constantly getting feedback from our team about what's working uh, in the field and where they need to change the content or the delivery method or the dosage, right? And so that's something we could establish right here in the state of Ohio, where not just for de-escalation training, but for all police training, where we develop this feedback loop so that we continue to build the evidence base and make police citizen encounters safer. I'm really excited about the possibilities here in the state. This has been really informative and I really appreciate all the time that you've given 
and all of your research. I know that we will certainly talk again because your research is not stopping from what I'm hearing. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're, you're very welcome, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for tuning in to the Future of Policing in Columbus podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Unknown 811. Why you keeping me down? Why you keeping me down?